Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 53 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsors, Carbonite Pro, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Pro backs up your files automatically and continuously, so you're always protected. Learn more and try it free at CarbonitePro.com. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Tom, in the last podcast, we looked at what might come after keyword search. In this episode, we take another look at the hot topic of cloud computing with a very specific focus. Do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about today? Sure, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will discuss file management in the cloud and the idea of anytime, anywhere access to all of your files. In our second segment, we have a question from our audience that we'll try to answer. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, File Storage in the Cloud. Dennis, the news item that I think prompted the show topic for us came up last week when Amazon announced a new service called Amazon Cloud Drive. But tools that allow you to store your files online like Amazon Cloud Drive have really been around for quite some time. In fact, Dennis, I think you were telling me that for you, this this topic goes all the way back to the days of Windows 95. Is that right? Yeah, Tom, and I know you're probably tired of hearing how important a transition point it was for me, the Windows 5 rollout event that I went to. But (laughs) one of the things I remember from that event was they talked about the notion that the Internet uh, as a place to put files was no different than the floppy disk drive at the time or a hard drive. And sort of conceptually, data could be stored anywhere. And, and it's really opened up the world and kind of expanded my notion of what a computer could do. And so conceptually, I was always intrigued with the idea of, of the Internet being a, a big hard drive. And we've, we've seen some development since then and, and some evolution from you know things like Google Docs for documents, a lot of the, the online backup, other things like that. But it seems like with the Amazon announcement and some uh, announcements we're probably expecting from Apple and others, some of the things Microsoft has been doing, that, that uh, and, and I know that you're a big fan of Dropbox, that there's a lot happening in this space. And the idea of actually using internet, well, sort of what I'll loosely call internet hard drives uh, for file managers has really become a, a possibility that a lot of people are going to consider these days. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true, and and uh, you know the the idea of online file management really is not like you said it's not a difficult one. It's the same as thinking of a floppy drive or a standalone hard drive. It's really just taking your current files and moving them online. It's a very simple idea, and and, and it's not really these days so much for storage purposes. Although using someone else's storage where where you're not using up your own, I think is a good benefit. But really, I think that uh, that 
the the benefit of these types of tools is uh, for the having the the ability to access your files anywhere you happen to be as as long as you've got an internet connection um, you you can get to every single one of your files I think another benefit of these types of tools and and something that we didn't see probably 10 or 15 years ago but are now seeing more often is the collaboration aspect to these tools uh, many of them you can share documents with others and work on them um, there's only that, that way there's only one version of a document so the whole team or whoever the collaborators happen to be have access to that current version i think another another great feature of the services is synchronization um, when you make changes to a file those uh, most of the tools will synchronize those changes with the online version of the document as well as with any other versions that you happen to have and we'll talk about this in just a second how I use Dropbox but uh, synchronization is a must-have feature of these particular tools Dennis I think you mentioned you had tried out uh, the Windows SkyDrive service uh, what were your experiences with using Using the Windows product. You know, I, I really liked the idea of this, although I, I have to admit that I did fall away from it and and uh, don't use it that that often anymore. But it's the typical of these things, and the Amazon one is similar. You get about five gigabytes of space for free. You can buy more space typically in these types of services. But what, what happened, and you also see this um, using a Mac as well, but there becomes an option that looks – it's like another another drive, but it's an internet drive, so it's a sky drive. And so especially if you know I'm going to do a presentation where I want to have lots of backup and the, those you know the slides available to me everywhere, I save it to my C drive and I also save it up to the sky drive at the same time, and then I'm able to to have it. And and the it's as simple as that. It's, it really does look like I'm uh, you know saving to a, to a different drive or different folder on my device in the under the save as. So it, I found it exceptionally easy to use. Um, I think that I mean it's interesting because it's it's sort of low. These things are low cost, but compare but you, you may be talking about twenty five gigs, twenty gigs, um, you know, for fifty dollars a year, or you know maybe you get a little bit more for fifty dollars a year, but in that range. But you can get almost a terabyte drive for fifty bucks these days. So um, I I think where it becomes interesting, and and this is probably what what you like about Dropbox, I think, is that it really makes sense for those active files that you have. You know, so you know less so for archiving a lot of things, although there's some benefit there. But I think for the files you actually want to use, you want to have accessible from a lot of places. That's where I think these, uh, you know, the the cloud based drives make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think that you're, you're right, um, and we'll we'll talk about tools that are probably better for archiving and backup purposes in a minute. But um, I I do use, like you mentioned, I use the Dropbox service, and it is just as simple as it is, I think, for you to use SkyDrive. Um, I, when I first started using Dropbox, you basically just go to the site, download the program, it installs on your computer. Um, when it installs, the the program is actually just a folder. It creates a new folder called my Dropbox and you can put it anywhere on your computer that you want to and whenever you add a document to that folder it automatically uploads it 
to the cloud, to the cloud version. The next thing to do, and what I really think is the cool reason to have tools like this, is that you then take another computer. So I have it on my home computer. I have it on my work laptop. I, I install it on both computers. And um, now I've immediately got access to that same document uh, where I can work on a file on my laptop, close it down at the end of the day, and come home. And if I need to work at it at night, I can open it up. And the same thing is that I don't need my laptop. I, I can work on things that I was working on at home when I'm on the road. Um, it's just incredibly convenient to have that type of access. You can also, within Dropbox, share folders of documents with other people. So if you have a project you're working on with multiple documents, you can give people access to that folder and work on the documents at the same time. I've also, I think, seen some firms use Dropbox as sort of a substitute for a network. I think it's kind of a poor substitute, but it works. You install it on your computer, your assistant, paralegal, your attorney, installs it on their network and you now have access to the same files. That way there's only one version of a document and you don't have to wonder who has the, the latest version. But to me, the best thing about services like Dropbox and, and one of the main reasons that I'm using Dropbox in particular is that these services allow you to access them with your iPhone or your iPad. So when I carry my iPad with me, I am literally carrying every file that I have. I have access to every single file that I own. Um, I, they're all available to me. Dropbox, and, and, and the main reason I like it is they have many connectors to the productivity apps on the iPhone and iPad. So then I can open a document from my Dropbox into, say, Documents to Go. I can make an edit to that document, and then I can save it back to my Dropbox. There are a lot of other services. I think that Dropbox has the most connectivity right now with, uh, with many of the other apps. Dennis, what are some of your, do you have any other favorite services? that are out there that we might recommend to the audience? Well, I mean, there are a number of them out there. And I, it, I, it seems like I, I, I don't have one that I use. I say, oh, my God, you, you have to try this. But I, I think you want to look at some of the features. And, and that synchronization is something that, uh, you, you know, is, is important. So there's things like SugarSync. Um, you know, some people use – we can talk about the difference between Google Docs and some of these services. But a lot of people use Google Docs as a way to, you know, as that sort of online storage of, of – uh, of actual documents and and to access them from any number of places. I mean, I, I sort of think the the Amazon thing is really interesting, both because it's really easy to understand pricing, uh, Amazon's reputation as uh, you know for cloud based services, and there's clearly a part of the Amazon thing that's directed at uh, music storage and digital media storage. Um, and playing. And so, uh, and, and the tip off on that is you get five gigabytes free, but if you buy one MP3 album from Amazon, you get another, you go up to 20 gigs free for a year. So that, that I think is part of the change. And so uh, to me, it sort of seems like you see this uh, in a way where the cloud is starting to happen in a, in a personal way in a lot of different ways. So it's almost like an alternative to streaming and, and the storage, but, but kind of, kind of active in a way. So I don't know, Tom, maybe you want to take a stab at why, you know, Google Docs and maybe something like a Carbonite or other backup services are maybe a little bit different than what Amazon and Dropbox are doing. 
Yeah, let me before I do that though, I want to I want to mention a couple other tools and what I didn't talk about was uh, was Dropbox pricing. Uh, Dropbox is free for the first 2 gigabytes of storage, which I found is really not enough. And so I I have a paid service. Um, you'll pay up to $20 a month for up to 50 gigabytes of storage. There's another service that I think is is quite good and it's called box.net. The reason why I like that, it offers a few more features than Dropbox. Um, it is it allows you to share on the, the file-based level instead of just being able to share a folder. Um, and they also offer uh, they also offer enterprise uh, solutions for companies of three and above where you're actually paying less than $20 a month per person. So it's actually it's actually a very good deal. One of the main reasons I don't use Dropbox is they just don't connect with all of the apps that I happen to use on my iPad or iPhone. So it doesn't really make sense uh, to, to, to use it in, in what I'm doing right now. But it's it's also a very good service. When you talk though about kind of how Google Docs or or backup services are different from what we're talking about. I think that in a way, Google Docs is sort of similar. You can upload any type of file that you want. You have a storage limit uh, that you've got for free, and I guess you can can purchase additional storage under Google Docs. The, the, the difference is, is that you really don't get to keep those files in a folder structure that's familiar to you. It doesn't work on your desktop. You're not accessing them like you would on your computer. You have to go online and access those documents. There, there may be, and, and, and I, I, I say this, there may be apps that you can actually download onto your computer that allows you to access your Google Docs directly in the cloud from a, a, a downloadable app. And I'm, I'm sure there probably are, and I think I've probably seen them. But um, it's not the same same type of file structure or Windows structure that, that you're used to doing. I think as a file management tool, it's a little bit cumbersome. But it's also important to point out that that services um, like Dropbox, like Box.net, like the new Amazon service are very different from backup services like those provided by Carbonite, our sponsor. Uh, backup services are designed to store a copy of your documents um, and, and, and are really for disaster recovery purposes so that they can you can restore your information um, in the event they're lost, there's some sort of disaster, there's some sort of interruption in your business or you just happen to accidentally delete a file. Um, it's the same difference if you're in a law firm between having a document management system and going to backup tapes. You're never going to use your backup tapes to find documents. And that's why these services like Carbonite or Mosey um, really can't be considered as document management solutions. They just don't have those features. Although I will say that I think the difference is starting to blur a little bit because now with Carbonite and with Mosey, you can, um, they're offering apps that allow you to access your files in your backup set through your iPhone or through your iPad. And, and I imagine that there are probably Android apps and, and maybe Blackberry apps on the way uh, so that you can get to these things. So, so maybe in the world of online storage, there, in the future world, there won't be much of a difference between backup and file management in the future. Dennis, are there any, I mean, we keep talking about how great these things are. Any concerns that we think uh, you think we need to talk about before we close this out? Yeah, I, I think there are. But I, I, I did want to, what you were saying really made me think of when we were writing our book was that we talked a lot about services that allowed you to send big files um, to other people. And that was kind of the thing a couple of years ago. And, and and you're right. I think there is this blurring because now um, it's sort of like there's a cloud and it handles digital information and it really does start 
to meld together because because you could use some of these services like you say with with the sharing to you know to move large files from one person to another and a, and a service that transfers large files could also build in some you know some some file management into it and so you can kind of see these things start to move together and like i say with amazon and music whatever apple's going to do in the future you know there's always rumors of a google hard drive so all that stuff is out there i think the reservations are you know if you if you have have you know a file you really need and you're up and it's up in the internet uh, on the internet and you don't have access to the internet you do have a big issue uh, i saw something today where people were were very concerned about having sensitive data uh, available on amazon servers as opposed to their own so you you do have uh, some of those issues that that have have given some concern to people. I mean, it's always going to be the trade off of convenience and what you know what helps you and and what you have up there, uh, y- you know, against the potential risk. So I think there there are some reservations, and you probably want to go. And and that's probably the the best thing about the Amazon thing is you get you feel like you're getting the Amazon brand as opposed to uh, you, you know the brand of a company. That that you're not really familiar with, so um, I think I think we'll we'll watch that. Uh, so that there'll be some concern along those lines, but I think this is an important development, and and it's a move toward that mobile platform we often talk about, Tom. So. Yep. You weigh convenience against loss of control over your data, privacy, other concerns, but I, I think this really has become an area to watch. No, I, I completely agree. I, I, I know that um, whenever I talk about services like these to an audience, uh, I will get that question. But what about security? I don't want to have my documents uh, in the cloud or on any place other than my own uh, servers or my own computer. Uh, you know, one, one of my first comments that I say, and depending on the audience, I may or may not say it, I may just think it, is that nine times out of 10, the security of these services that that you're using um, are 10 times better than the security in your firm will ever be and the servers that you have internally. Uh, but I, but the, the reluctance and the discomfort that you may feel by just having that data on someone else's computer, no matter whether it were Fort Knox or, or what, um, is totally understandable. Now, the, the, ethics, the ethics opinions that I'm seeing uh, on, uh, on, on cloud computing services generally have been positive and have generally said that it's okay to place data, um, but you need to make sure you do your due diligence. You need to make sure you understand the business operations of the company that you go with. Uh, make sure that you can get to that data uh, whenever you need to, that they've got enough redundancy built in so that if their service happens to go down, you can get to them. If they go out of business, you can get to that data. Um, there, there, uh, there are a number of resources on the internet that you can go look to, to see what are the, what are the questions that I need to ask my cloud provider to see what, uh, what security is available so I can satisfy myself. But if you do that, I think that at least in terms of some of these ethics opinions, they are, uh, they're all pretty much saying that, that it's, it's a reasonable practice to go ahead and do. Dennis, want to take us out uh, of this segment with maybe a word or two about, uh, the future of these types of services? 
Yeah, I, I think we'll see more of it. But I also think a couple of things that you said, you're right. I mean, people tend to talk a lot about security and you wonder what their current security practices are. I always think that, you know, like like you, but I sort of want to ask people, how many USB drives do you have just, in, you know, in the bottom of your briefcase that you don't have very <laughs> yeah. well secu- security either? What, I, what I'm intrigued by with the cost of these is how you can really put together, um, I'll use my dreaded word portfolio again, but I think you can put together... Uh, uh, you know, a set of these where you're backing up in several different places that will get you past a lot of the concerns because if you're if you're using several of these, then you're going to have several ways to get to it. So I, I just think it becomes part of the whole storage mix, and and I think storage, and, and I'll touch on this a little bit in my parting shot on this show, but I, I think storage is changing a bit, and uh, um, this is definitely going to be one big piece of storage as we go forward. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Carbonite Pro, Clio, and LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as as a really resounding response, and and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. A computer disaster is devastating. Imagine losing your client files and billing records. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Pro online backup. With Carbonite Pro, your files are backed up automatically, so it really gets done, and continuously. They're stored securely and safely off-site. Plus, each employee can access their backed-up files from any computer or from their smartphone with a free app. Prices start at just $10 a month. Start your free one-month trial at CarbonitePro.com. That's CarbonitePro.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN.
and welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We always encourage questions from our audience, and we have one today. It is, could you give us a good explanation of Twitter hashtags? What are they, and why would I want to use them? Tom? You know, a hashtag is, to me, essentially a crutch. Uh, It's something that helps people search for things easily within Twitter. Uh, There is so much volume of of information going on on Twitter, but it's also a tremendous uh, research tool for finding out things that are going on, for locating links to helpful articles uh, and, and things that people are saying. But because the way that we use language, it's easy to search for something for just a general word and come up with thousands of irrelevant results. And so the hashtag was sort of devised as a way to make the actual things you want rise to the top of the search results. And so the instructions that people are given when you first start to use Twitter is put place a hashtag in front of a particular word that you want to use. Uh, and I'll, I'll give an example. For um, uh, for years, I watched the TV show Lost. I really liked Lost, but if I went on Twitter to search for Lost, I would come up with lots and lots of examples about people who lost their car keys or people who got lost in the forest, and I wouldn't find anything about the TV show. But if I put a hashtag in front of Lost and search for that, I would, hopefully anyway, be more likely to come up with with results that talked about the specific TV show. So when you tweet, if you want people to follow what you're saying, make sure that you include a keyword with a hashtag, and in the hashtag we mean a pound sign, in front of it. And I'll I'll give you an example. By the time this show is released, podcast is released, we'll be at ABA Tech Show, and there will be lots of people tweeting from ABA Tech Show using the hashtag with a pound sign and then ABA Tech Show all run together. There's no spaces or capitals or anything like that. Um, So you you can uh, look for what people are saying at ABA Tech Show by doing a search on that particular hashtag. Even better, if you use a, a tool like um, like TweetDeck or even if you're using one of the Twitter apps in your iPhone or iPad or Android, uh, you can run a search that will bring you regular, uh, a stream of information. I've got a column set up in TweetDeck so that whenever somebody tweets about ABA Tech Show, it immediately shows up and I see it automatically. So that's sort of my thoughts on how a hashtag works. Anything that you'd like to add, Dennis? Yeah, I, I, I want to emphasize that it's real value to to you is when you use Twitter search, so that's search.twitter.com, or the search functions of a of a, a Twitter separate Twitter tool like Dwight TweetDeck, and it's sort of one of these crowdsourced notions where you say, hey, let's make it easy to find things. It's tremendously useful, say around a conference, like you said, like tech show, uh, TV shows, sporting events, uh, because then the, the people are most serious about. About commenting on these things and want people to see it, we'll use that hashtag. So you get really good, inf- you know, sort of the best information. You, you don't get everything, but you really eliminate a lot of the noise that you might get. And Tom, your example of, of Lost is great because if you were trying to to follow all all the tweets about Lost during the show, you you would get a, a whole lot of noise. But if you if you use the hashtag Lost, you would get people who are actually commenting about what's going on in on the show. Um, so that's a perfect example. Um, it developed organically and it's kind of one of these cool self-organizing ways that, that people come up to, 
to help themselves find things. It went through a period, I think, where the spammers, as typical, got a hold of it. And um, and so you get a lot of, of spam stuff uh, based on, on hashtags, which makes it a little bit less useful. I think it was in a, a year or two ago. But it's still it's still very handy. And 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 and. If people haven't used this before, I'd say go to uh, Twitter search and take a look at uh, what you can find on um, on the that ABA Tech Show hashtag, and you'll and you'll really see what was happening at that conference. and 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 it's one of those things. If you get Twitter and it's useful to you, you'll see the value of hashtags right away. Um, and for other people, you go, eh, I don't really get it. But it's it's a really good test to see whether Twitter is going to be valuable to you, Tom. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that it's also really important to, 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 to see what other people are doing because when a, when a conference happens, uh, or, or when a, you know, there are even informal chats on Twitter, there's a, there's a chat called legal chat that happens every Friday, um, on Twitter and that the people who want to attend that chat know to include legal chat with the pound, with the hashtag in front, um, so that they can follow the chat. It's like being in a chat room uh, to, to, to see the messages come across, but you have to know exactly what the hashtags are. So it pays to go and, uh, uh, and and understand and ask questions if if you don't know what the right hashtag is, but uh, look around. Don't just assume that you're creating a hashtag for ABA Tech Show. It may have already been created, and people may already be using it. Dennis, want to take us to the next segment? Yeah, and I was going to say that the hashtags also makes you a player at, in that on that topic or that that event. So if you use the hashtag, all of a sudden everybody at the conference will will be aware of your your uh, your remark or your tweet. Yep. So it's kind of a great way to enter the conversation. Definitely. But you're right, Tom. It's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Take it away. Um, today, my parting shot is entirely self-promotional. Um, I believe it's today. The ABA is receiving the first printed copies of my new book, iPad in One Hour for Lawyers. Uh, it's a book that uh, I, I think is really best suited to lawyers who are just getting started with an iPad and who may not be uh, completely tech savvy and want a little help on the way, the best ways to set it up and some good apps to get started with. Um, it's a... Uh, not a long book. Like I said, it's, it says iPad in one hour. It'll probably be more like iPad in an hour and a half because I gave you lots of extra content. So you're getting a lot of value for the money. If you're interested, head over, just Google ABA web store. And when you get there, search on the word iPad and mine ought to be the top result. Dennis. Um, yeah, I think that's great. I, I second that. Um, by the way, April 27th expected delivery date for my iPad too, just so you know. Um, my, my parting shot is a, a, an episode of a podcast called Cyber Speaks Podcast. And that's a, has, it's a podcast hosted by two formal federal agents who investigated computer crime. Its topic is computer security, computer forensics, but they have an interview with a, a guy named Scott Moulton, who's a leading forensic authority on solid state drive forensics. And it is absolutely fascinating. And one of the things that I think is always difficult for lawyers who are involved in, in e-discovery or lawyers involved in 
litigation is it's difficult to get a good sense of what the technology is out there. And we're in the middle. It's not just the cloud drives we talked about. We're, we're in the middle of a transition to solid state drives as well. And that's just not thumb drives. That's, that's actual hard drives that are solid state, done with flash memory, no moving parts. You know, the electrons get changed and how they're treated forensically is a lot different. And there are questions about whether once things are deleted, whether they can be recovered and those things. And we're in sort of novel territory. What I liked about this podcast was, yeah, it's a little bit technical, but I think that uh, if you listen to it as a lawyer, as a litigator, you'll have a good feel for what the issues are out there and maybe what questions you need to ask, maybe what you need to talk to your experts about and consider and, and have some concern about. And it's another great example I've, I've found of how I'm turning, when I want to learn something, a, a new subject and get up to speed fairly quickly, I, I like to find a podcast with an interview with somebody who's really an authority in the field. And then in you know, 30 minutes or so, I have a good solid background. And so this is terrific on solid state drives. I need to listen to it. It's right up my alley. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today are included on our still uh, defunct show notes wiki that we are, I promise, going to get to after we are uh, come back from ABA Tech Show. Uh, that is at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes on your way to try out the cloud. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.